part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. If, you're, um, if you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, we started last week a new series. Um, we just finished up the book of Philemon. We, we, for the most part, kind of preached through books. But uh, instead of preaching through this whole gospel, which would take us quite a long time, for the Easter season, we really wanted to take a couple messages and kind of lead us to the cross. And so some of this is somewhat familiar to you. Last week, we looked at Christ and that preparation of right before his um, arrest, how he had established at that point the Lord's Supper with the disciples. Judas betrays him. Uh, He leaves that Lord's Supper, that establishment of that. And we saw that Peter, you know, was told that he was going to deny Christ three times. And if you remember last week, we we let you kind of vote. We said, do you think that Peter was really sincere? And everybody, as much as I talked to everybody said yes. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, we thought that Peter really was sincere about being faithful to Christ. And yet we know the tragic end of that, or at least the stumbling block that came. Well, guys, that shows us that sincerity by itself, you know, isn't what we need. What we need is the truth and the work of Christ. Well, this morning we're going to come and we're going to look at the next kind of steps of that, Mark chapter 15. And some of this is going to be somewhat familiar to you. You realize that, that Christ had some trials. He faced trials. Does anybody just happen to know how many trials he actually faced? Actually, six. But most people do count five because they don't really count the one before the Sanhedrin. So technically it's six, but, but most people would say five, so you're, you're right. And most people would have agreed because you're going, I don't know if he had three or four, so I'm going to go with Radley. You know, five sounds good to me. But five, we could kind of put an asterisk by that sixth one, and we'll look at those in just a little bit. But what do you, you know, usually when we think about injustice, and there's a lot of injustices in the world. One of the remedies that we have in society for justice finally to take place is hopefully the court system. You know, if your neighbor is doing something or somebody else, a a company has done this, they fired you without cause or this, that, and the other, then you're going, okay, you know, I don't like to do it, but I'm going to take this to court so that I can get justice. Well, unfortunately, we see a lot of things happen in the court system that aren't always justice because of different things. It's still the best system in the world that we have. And yet we see that, you know, it's not foolproof. Well, this morning we're going to go through these trials, uh, really looking at just the one before Pilate. And one of the things that we think would come out in the midst of a trial is justice. Hey, when we really put this thing on trial, maybe by the end of the day, justice will happen. And yet what we find, guys, I don't want to, you know, spoiler alert or anything, but as you know, justice doesn't happen. At least what appears to the eye, that the innocent one is actually, by Pilate, found guilty, in his sense, or sentenced to death in a crucifixion. And we go, man, where's you know, this injustice? How can, the, how can God even allow this to happen? And yet, if we look, we know that this was what was purposed all along, that the just would die for the unjust. Just like last week, it's so easy for us to point fingers at Peter and say, man, I can't believe Peter would do that. And what we find in the midst of that story is that we're Peter. We're a bunch of promise makers that mean well and we're sincere about it and we put energy to it. And yet we find that with this frailty 
in our life, this human nature, that we don't always live up even to our own promises, even within marriage, even within commitments one to another. And so we begin to see ourselves in Peter. This morning, I think we'll see ourselves in Pilate a little bit. As offensive as that may seem to a lot of people, that, that we really begin to see that, like Pilate, every one of us will answer directly or indirectly in this life what, what Pilate said. What do I do with this one who's called the king of the Jews? Well, one day, guys, we really will face holy God. And I don't know how all that's going to happen. I don't know if there's going to be a big screen. I don't know if they're going to fast forward through some of the you know, parts of our lives that we didn't think were super exciting. If they're going to pause on some of our sins. I don't know how all that's going to happen. I just know that one day the Bible makes it very clear that we will face a judgment before a holy God. And when it comes to the judgment of our sin, that we have this one that will stand up if we put faith and trust in Christ. And Christ will stand for me that day. And if you put your faith and trust in him, then he will stand for you that day. And he will say, not guilty. Now, I want you to think about that. How on that day can Christ say, not guilty? When you and I know, <laughs> man, we are guilty. We have not been able to walk this road perfectly. How can he say that justly? And the answer is in the work of Christ. He can say, justice is going to happen, guys. Sin will be judged. But if you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, your sin, as it says in Corinthians, has been placed on him, and his righteousness has been placed on you. That's our hope. That's the gospel. And that's why we're here to celebrate today, to make much of Christ. But one of the things that people sometimes don't follow all the way through that story and go, well, you know, you know, is that just, does God just kind of sweep your sins under the table? Does he just kind of, you know, forget about them in the sense of just forgetting or just kind of not or minimizing? He doesn't. No, he just places them all on Christ. And it's very significant for us to understand that because justice will happen. In the biggest picture, justice will happen. The great thing is that we've been given this gift of new life in him. And justice did happen when Christ took our sins. That's what, you know, that Good Friday service that we're going to have in a couple of Good Fridays, that's why it's kind of a heavy service. Because justice does happen. God does bring his wrath, this cup that Jesus talked about, he does bring his wrath against sin, but he places it all on Christ. It's a wonderful picture. It's one that this Easter season, I hope that we can kind of absorb into it. This morning we're going to look at uh, this time when... Um, Mark chapter 15, let me kind of break it down to you. We're going to look at three different aspects. The first one is some details, kind of lay the stage with the facts. After that, the dilemma that Pilate finds himself in. He doesn't know what to do with Christ. And then he has to make a decision. He tries to avoid it every way that he can. And yet, ultimately, Pilate does have to make a decision about Christ, what he's going to do with Christ. And so let's start uh, with those six trials there. Three of those were religious trials. They were uh, before uh, the high priest, uh, the former high priest, and the current high priest. And then Christ went before the Sanhedrin. And that was kind of like the Jewish religious Supreme Court. They're the ones that kind of made decisions on how religious things would go. The ones that we're more familiar with are the ones that Christ, when he comes before the political leaders, he's before Pilate. Pilate, as we will find out in the scripture this morning, 
uh, decides that there, maybe there's an out that he doesn't have to make a decision. So he sends Christ over to Herod. Herod says, no, this isn't my business. Rome, you have to decide this. So it comes back to Pilate. But altogether, six different false trials. And I call them false trials because Jesus did nothing that he was accused of. But how did he handle that? Well, as we begin to go in there, one of the focal people in this, the persons that really comes out, is Pontius Pilate. Have you heard that name before? Pilate. The only reason you know that name is because of the Bible. He did nothing really outside of what we see in the Bible that really had historical significance. Yes, he was a ruler, but even during his rule, he's not really recorded that much in uh, what we call extra-biblical or out-of-biblical resources. If it wasn't for Pilate in the Bible, you and I would not know about him. And yet he plays a central place in this story. Mark chapter 15, verse 1. This is before the Sanhedrin. This is their kind of religious supreme court. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. This is the Sanhedrin. And they bound Jesus and they led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. They had three trials. They found Christ kind of guilty on every one of those religiously that he had offended their religious beliefs. But there was one thing that the Jewish people could not do. They could pronounce in their own mind, in their own court system, their own kind of, you know, hierarchy of, of, uh, of opinions there. They could say, you're guilty. But the one thing that they couldn't do is pronounce somebody to die. They can find you guilty. They could probably punish you in other ways. But if it was going to be death, the Roman government had to do that. And so they come to this place where they've had three different kind of false trials. They find Christ guilty. They want to send him to his death, but they know that they do not have the power to do that. So they have to take him to Pilate. Pilate is the Roman kind of uh, leader at that time. So they take him over there. And uh, what you know about Jewish people and Roman authorities, Roman government, they liked each other, they were bosom buddies, or they really hated each other, hated each other. Okay, I mean, like most of the populace, we always have this kind of skeptical thought of the hierarchy of government sometimes. You know, like they just don't listen to the little people. So some of it was just that innate kind of feeling like, do they really care about us? But here we see that the Jewish people really hated the Romans and anything Rome because the Romans had come and occupied their land. It would be like somebody else, another country coming in and occupying this land and here we are we're americans and yet the ruling system was just for the sake of the news of the days russian you know that all of a sudden the russians came in and they were in control we would have an uprising well that's what was going on in jerusalem at that time there there was always these people called zealots and they were always trying to kind of star something to get the land back to the jewish people And yet I want you to see that in all this conniving, it's amazing how people become friends. Enemies become friends. Have you ever noticed that even at work sometimes or in the neighborhood or sometimes even in the family? People that usually maybe really didn't get along, but when they have a common purpose, all of a sudden they agree with one another. Look what happens. Uh, Just look on the screen. You don't have to turn over there. But Luke chapter 23, verse 12. Mark doesn't record this, but I did want to leave out some of the other Gospels there because they kind of color in the story. 
It says, and Herod and Pilate. Herod, Pilate hated each other. Okay, hated each other. Became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been an enmity with each other. They were enemies before that day, but now a common cause. Hey, let's get rid of this Christ guy. Let's get him out of our hair. And they became good friends. And so this trial begins. Andy, you probably could verse us well on this, but the trial kind of goes, uh, a, the Roman trials went in a very methodical way. There was the accusation, then the interrogation, then the defense, then the verdict. And the accusation against Christ is that he was a, uh, comes from the religious leaders, the Jewish people, and they basically say, they bring Jesus to Pilate, and they said, you know, he has caused treason. Now, these Jewish people hate the Romans, right? Yet their charge against Jesus is, you know, he has said something about your king. He said something about Caesar. He has called himself a king. And we know that there's only one king, and that is Caesar. Now, can you imagine how the Jewish people stumbled over saying that? It's kind of like saying, I'm sorry sometimes. You know how you want to say it, but it kind of just sticks there? Well, can you imagine them trying to say, you know, from their Jewish lips, that Jesus, really, he's caused treason because he spoke against Caesar? They hated Caesar. Yet that was their one way to get the Roman government involved. So we see that happening. Look what happens in verse 2. And Pilate asked him, he begins this interrogation, and Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? This is the accusation against you. Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Now, for the most part, in all these trials, for the most part, did Jesus speak or did he stay silent? For the most part, he was silent. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament when it said that like a sheep before the shearer, that he's going to be silent. But there were times that Jesus talked. Okay, there was a few times that Jesus talked. And all the times that Jesus talks, if you go back through all the Gospels and you see the few times that Jesus actually said something, it was always to confirm the truth. Whenever something that was unjust leveled against him a lie, he never defended himself. But here, he says, are you the king of the Jews? Is that truth or lie? It's truth. He's the king. He's actually the king of the Jews. He's actually the king of kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And so in this sense, when Pilate brings that, since there is a truth that, Jesus doesn't try to water down the truth. That's what you said? I'm I'm not going to deny that. In John 18.36, Jesus really shows us what's behind that statement, though. Because in John's Gospel, it says that Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Here they're fighting about who's the king, who's in control. And Jesus says, look, I just wanted to be real frank with you here, Pilate. If I wanted to be in control, I could be in control. I can just do the breath and you would fall. But I want you to know my kingdom is not of this world. Christ, the few times he says something, guys, I want you to know, he says it to clear up what he has stated in three years of ministry. He's confirming what already has been his statements from the past. It's all the false accusations that he sits there and he doesn't defend himself. And isn't that the very opposite nature of you and I? When somebody would bring charge against you, 
and you're in a court of law, isn't there that sense of injustice? Sherry, that all of a sudden somebody brings this charge against Jeff. And you would, I know you. <laughs> you love this as your husband. That's not true. Here's the truth. And it's those injustices that we would stand and we would defend to the death. Because we're going to lose. I just don't want you to believe these false things about somebody that I care about. I want you to know Jesus didn't do that. When the false accusations come, he is silent. When the statements of truth, are you the king of the Jews? Yeah, I am. And Christ could have gone on and on and on. And so then we go from this uh, place of the details, we begin to see the dilemma. Pilate doesn't know what to do. So look at verse 4. In verse 3, they see that Pilate is kind of uh, starting to give in a little bit, that Christ really is innocent. And so he begins to, to wobble a little bit. The crowd senses that. And all these Jewish leaders, it says in verse 3, that they accuse him of many things. So look at verse 4. And Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? Do you notice what's happening here? When Pilate spoke the truth, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus speaks. Now the crowd has all these false accusations against him. What does Jesus do? Silence. And Pilate comes back in verse 4 and says, Have you no answer to make? Do you not hear the things that they're yelling out from the crowd about you? And he's completely silent. Folks, this is really important for us to understand that Christ here is sacrificially not defending himself. He's going to go to the cross for us, but he never wavers from what is true. He just doesn't play their game. I don't know about you, but I, I'm just the opposite. I mean, you, you level a false accusation against me, my family, my girls. Oh, my goodness. But for those that were in, in, in life group this morning, the lion would come out in me. We were talking about lions this morning. The lion would come out. Because I would want truth to prevail here. And before Jesus, I mean, before Pilate, uh, Jesus speaks truth, but he sits there silent before, between these false accusations. And we get to verse 5. It says, But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was what? Now, why do you think he was amazed? Why would you be amazed? They bring this guy before you. They pronounce him guilty. You're starting to talk back and forth. Pilate more than likely has heard a little bit about Jesus. More than likely, this is the first time that he's seen Jesus. And so he hears a little bit about Jesus. Now his, Jesus is right there. And he begins to discern in his own mind, in his heart, that what Jesus is saying really is the truth. He begins to kind of waver. This guy isn't guilty. He's innocent. The crowd senses that. They start throwing more accusations against Jesus. Jesus is silent to all those false accusations. And the end result in Pilate's mind and his heart is what? Amazement. Hey, this is not how people act. More people, other people had been brought to Pilate before, I'm sure. I'm sure that those who had been professing their innocence did it until their very death. And so Pilate couldn't quite grasp, why is this guy not defending himself? If he really is innocent, why doesn't he proclaim his innocence? And yet Christ is ever silent. 
He sends him off to Herod. He thinks that maybe he can get... So he finds out that Jesus is from Galilee. He says, well, you know, really Herod's over that, that authority. He sends him off there. Uh, Luke 23, verse 6 and 7, it says, When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he had heard that he belonged to Herod's uh, jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. Well, the false accusations come, but Herod basically says the same thing that everybody else wanted to say. Hey, I just want to wash my hands. And he sends him back to Pilate. So here's the dilemma. Pilate tries to get out of making a decision about Christ. He tries to avoid it like the plague, and yet it keeps on coming back. Finally, he's going to have to make a decision. Look what happens in verse 6. Right about the time that Pilate was thinking, oh, man, I've got to make a decision here, he thinks of one more way to get out. Verse 6. Now, at the feast, he was used, um, now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. It's kind of a, a thing that they would do, kind of like the presidential, presidential pardon in honor of the feast. They would say, okay, who's one of your guys in jail that you want out? And he said, I'll use that. And then he picks what I would believe to be the worst person that they had in prison at that time, Barabbas. Barabbas was a zealot. A zealot was also known as a dagger man. What do you think a dagger man was? Yeah, he was an assassin. A zealot, a dagger man, was a guy that he had his dagger and he's ready to take your life for the cause. So he has Barabbas. We don't really know that much about Barabbas. We don't know if he had a long, you know, rap sheet. We, we just know that he's probably the worst guy because Pilate is trying to stack the deck. He does not want to bring this conviction against Jesus because in his heart he says, you know, everything I can tell, this guy's innocent. And yet the pressure of the Jewish people, the pressure of the crowd, and all of these are pressing upon him. And so he tries to stack the deck and he tries to say, okay, who's the worst guy that we have in prison right now that they would not want to be out there with their sons and their daughters? Barabbas. So he picks this name. Verse 7, And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Verse 9, Pilate asked the third question. And he said, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Or do you want this Barabbas guy? And I really think that Pilate thinks that this is a slam dunk. I think that he thinks that, okay, look, I'm going to take the worst guy I know, and this guy that they're kind of mad at, and that they really want to get rid of, but surely they don't want a murderer walking the streets with their children. And yet what did the crowd cry out? Look at verse 11. The chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release them for them Barabbas instead. People were talking. They're going to do. We really want a murderer walking around with our children. Chief priest, kind of, you know, the religious leaders saw that going on. They started stirring the people. I'm going, no, you really want Jesus. And so, what was the end of the story, guys? Barabbas or Jesus? They cried out for Barabbas. And says, okay, what am I going to do with the king of Jews then? What am I going to do with this Jesus? And what was the cry from the crowd? Now, what's the point of all that? That's all history. That's the details. That's the dilemma that we see. What does that mean to you and I? 
when we look at the Easter story, when we see this progression from the, from, you know, to the cross and to an empty grave on Easter, what difference does it make that Christ had these six trials? What difference does it make that they cried out for Barabbas instead of Jesus? What difference does it make that they said, crucify him, crucify him? Here's the difference. We may do something heroic. We may get our gumption up and, and really be able to be heroic for a moment, a couple moments, an hour. But Christ is here facing every false thing and saying nothing. He's put perhaps side by side him and Barabbas, this known murderer, hated by the people, and yet vehemently they cry out, Barabbas, we want him released. What do I do with this one that is called the king of the Jews? Crucify him. Guys, it's one thing to stand up for something you believe in. It's one thing to stand up for somebody that you love. But when the pressure is really on and you know that you're innocent, isn't there something within you that says, look, enough is enough. And yet we see none of that out of Christ. The just dies the unjust. Guys, we're, we're Pilate. We're Barabbas. We're these ones that maybe have really deep, passionate thoughts about what we're persuaded with. I mean, the Jewish people, they're deeply, would you say that they're deeply passionate? They're just passionate about the wrong thing. Pilate trying to avoid making the decision about this Christ. But ultimately, he has to do what every other human being really has had to do. Make a decision when presented with who is this one that is called King of the Jews. I don't know the age that you were when you first kind of had that question in your life. If you grew up in the church, it may have been when you were two or three or four or five years old. You had some understanding about what Christ has done. For others, maybe you didn't grow up in the church and it was later in life before you even got introduced to this whole thinking about Christ, how he's the Son of God. But at some point in time, you, you stick around church, you, you read the Bible, you, you talk with other people that follow Christ, and eventually you're going to come to that place that Pilate was. What do I do with this one that's called the King of the Jews? Folks, I want you to know that it's part mental, it's part spiritual, it's part everything, the fiber of our being, how we answer that. Pilate tries to avoid it at all costs. He thinks that maybe the answer here is to escape from that. And yet he finally comes down to that final part and he just finds out that he's going to have to, uh, to make a decision. Look what it says in verse 12. And Pilate asked uh, again, said to them, Then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? Verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, because they cry out, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. He went from the, we went from the details to the dilemma that he was in to the ultimate decision that he made. I just want you to know this morning, guys, that's us. There's a lot of details about the Easter story. And we have to think about, okay, is Christ really this authentic person? Well, even if you threw the Bible away, we would know through historical records that Christ was an historical figure. We also know this about the Christ. 
that he claimed to be the very Son of God. He claimed that the only way for sinful people, fallen people, to get right with Holy God was through his work. These are the claims that people didn't make about him, but that Christ himself said. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Christ has boldly gone out there and said, this is who I am. And that's the decision before us. What are we going to do with this Christ child? This this Christ, this King of the Jews? What what are we going to do with that? Are we just going to give mental assent? Hey, we agree. Are we going to give moral assent? Or do we come to a place in our lives where we say, you know, not only is he the king of the Jews, but he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's God's own son. And he's the remedy for my sin problem. And God has sent him as the answer, the only answer. And we put all of our faith and all of our trust for our rightness with God in Christ. Not your own moral perfection, not your own enthusiasm and passion, and not even, as we looked at last week, you know, your own believability in your own heart. Hey, I'm, I'm, I really believe I won't do this. I'm trying to be authentic here. But all of those don't count. They feel like a lot to us because there are feelings and we're passionate. But folks, I want you to know, you can be passionate, you can be authentic, you can do all those things, but without Christ, you and I will never be redeemed before a holy God. That's the significance of Easter. Not just a storyline that, wow, this gets kind of intense. He dies, he's crucified. Hey, nails. You know, swords on the side. All, all those things are there, guys. This is the central part of the whole Bible. The whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, all is central to this right here, that story. Because it's all about Christ. And it's all about his life, his death, his burial, as we will see in two weeks, his resurrection. And, and so this morning... As much as we would never see ourselves like Pilate, we would never see ourselves as those Jewish people kind of just, you know, going for religious cause. Guys, at the end of the day, really at the end of the day, here's the moral of this whole story. It's the crux of the whole story. The just died for the unjust. And we're the unjust. And when we come to that place where we understand that, and we trust in Christ. That's where real life really begins. I realize that this morning, many of you, if not most of you, maybe even perhaps all of you, have decided what to do with Jesus. But you know, how can you let even a week go by? How can you let the Easter season go by and, and not, in case you were still kind of trying to figure that out, you're still trying to, to kind of, you know, Understand the fullness of what does it really mean to be a Christian. Not just go to church, not just believe some moral code, but what does it really mean to put all my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? That's what Easter is all about. And this morning, if you've never decided what you're going to do with this one that they call the King of the Jews, what we would love, I, I would love to talk with you, Jeff would love to talk with you, Radley would love to talk with you. We've got plenty of people that would love to talk to you if you're still kind of wondering what does that really mean to follow Christ, to put your complete faith and trust in Him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love You and we thank You. And Father, probably one of the last people that we would ever identify with in the Bible is Pilate. 
Father, we just don't see that, that we're like that. And yet, Father, like Pilate, we have to decide what are we going to do with this one who's called the King of the Jews? What are we going to do with the one that said that he is the only way to eternal life and he's the only one to rightness with you, Father? Father, we can gather the details. We can see ourselves in that dilemma. But, Father, ultimately, it's going to bring about a time that we have to make a decision. And so, Father, this morning, I I pray that uh, for those that maybe have been dealing with the dilemma, maybe they've been weighing the details, that, Father, as you bring a decision time upon them in their life, that, Father, in simple, childlike faith, that they could come and say, you know, I don't know all the verses of the Bible. I, don't, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a theologian, but I know this. God so loved this world that he sent his only son. And that son was willing to die in my place and take all of my sin so that I could have life with the Father and that I could stand there with the Holy God. Father, we thank you that you have sent one to do that that he did not waver from that, even in the face of all those insults and all those false accusations, that, Father, he kept his eye on the mission and he completed it to perfection. Father, this day, would we worship you, would we thank you, and, Father, for those that may be uh, in the throes of that decision, Father, I, I just pray that they would understand that there is only one answer, and his name is Christ. Father, for those who have trusted Christ, we thank you for this amazing grace. And Father, we thank you that the penalty of our sins now has been cast from us to Christ. And in this amazing grace, Father, the chains that bound us in our own life have been broken so that we can have new life without chains, with this freedom in Christ, and that we can live it forevermore with you. So, Father, as our our final proclamation, our, our final act of worship this day, Father, we cry out to you and we sing to you about this amazing grace as we pray this in the name of the one who provided it for us, Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.